Man alive. That song will get you going. Amen. All right. I'm going to take a break. Just kidding. You know, an individual once said to me, an individual, he said, how in the world does a pastor sing and preach? I said, all I got to tell you, it's Jesus. Because sometimes when I know we have this song list and just how the songs are just powerful and they're, some, the ranges are high. And, but I'll tell you, I might go home on a Sunday exhausted, but I know that I've experienced our Savior. I know that He was here, and I love songs like that because it just takes every song right from the hymn. And it brings our dead bodies to life. Doesn't it? Because we live in a life where it's so difficult. You know, church, you, you all have blessed me today. It's just great to see you all out there. And uh, just, it does, it encourages my spirit. And for a lot of reasons, because, you know, when I, when I do the Hallelujah Hoedown, I'll remember the first time we did it at the YMCA, and uh, we did Petticoat Junction, and we did a bunch of these skits, and it was in the gymnasium. It's hard for me to you know, yet imagine that that was 15 years ago because in some respects it seems like it was just yesterday. And our time is just fleeting by. You know, we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. Our life is but a vapor. And we have to realize that whatever we do, it needs to count for Christ. It needs to count for our Savior. It needs to count for the kingdom. We're not supposed to score keep. But he is the scorekeeper. He says, for he lays up in heaven treasures where nobody can steal, where moth can't get in, where thieves can, can come in and take it away and things get corrupted. But he said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, where those are your rewards. And so God knows that, that he keeps record of our rights and of our wrongs. And, you know, I'm just grateful that we can come together as a church and just exalt the name of Christ. And that was just the sermonette before the sermon. I just sometimes, I, I, I just get overwhelmed. I, I want to just kind of like stand here and just be quiet. And I know you guys have known me. You know, and the scripture says, be still and know that I'm God. And in our life, and in this week, some of you have faced so many things that determined the outcome by the end of the day. Some of your choices weren't as honorable or admirable. And yet, you know, you're here today because we all want to increase in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so today I ask my Heavenly Father and our Savior to give me the wisdom to, to teach and to speak to you in regard to today's topic, a very serious topic, one that needs to be discussed. It's called the hillbilly hospitality. <laughs> I had to come up with some name. But before we do that, children, you are dismissed to head out. And uh, they're giving me a look. Go ahead, go do something with them. They, my wife will help you out. Maybe I was going to have them stay in here, but there's so many kids. And by the way, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'll tell you something here in just a little bit. Let's just do our Bible decree this morning. And if you have your Bible, let's just claim it. 
Let's reclaim it. Let's be excited about what the Word has to say, amen? So if you have your iPhone, your iPad, your eyeglasses, your Bible, whatever you have, just it doesn't matter to me, hold it nice and high. And let's say this together. This is my Bible, God's holy Word. I will make it a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Amen. And if you've sinned this week, then you have not been hiding God's word in your heart. And you need to get your heart right with God. Amen. I want to just start off today by a fun little theme song. Because, you know, I couldn't do this if it wasn't for Granny. Coming all the way from, you know, the hills and that big, beautiful mansion. And I wish I could have gotten the rest of the family here. But you guys know this, and and you're familiar with the Beverly Hillbillies, amen? Kind of went like this, didn't it? Come and listen to a story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food. And up to the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is, black gold, Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. The kinfolks said, Jed, move away from there. Said, California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly Hills, that is. Swimming pools, movie stars. The Beverly Hillbillies. Hey, Danny. <laughs> Now, this is the best part of the whole song. Now, listen closely. But now it's time to say goodbye to Jed and all his gang. And they would like to thank you folks for kindly dropping in. You're all invited back next week to this locality to have a keeping and helping of their hospitality. Hillbilly, that is. Set a spell. Take your shoes off. Y'all come back now. Here. You know, it's interesting, and I just had to do this today for this message just because I thought I would make it a little bit more fun and exciting, but uh, many of you do not know 10 things about the Beverly Hillbillies, so I just thought I would highlight them today. Uh, the Beverly Hillbillies is one of the most beloved TV shows in American history. The CBS sitcom told the story of the Clampett family and their hilariously fast ascension from abject rural poverty to an incredible wealth where in Los Angeles, California, thanks to the discovery of oil on their land. After Christmas came early for the Clampets, Ellie Mae, Granny, Jethro Bodine, and family patriarch Jed Clampett up and moved to Beverly Hills. Hills, that is. All sorts of craziness involving from swimming pools or cement ponds and Oldsmobiles that look like they barely even worked. So from the Beverly Hillbillies to Green Acres, and we have to remember, Petticoat Junction. Hollywood loved making shows about hicks in the 1960s. It was made even more comical watching the fictional family's neighbor and banker Milburn Drysdale and his loyal secretary, Jane Hathaway assisting them with their massive misfortune. So here are nine facts about the Clampett clan and their redneck rags-to-riches story. Number one, the Beverly Hillbillies rose to number one in the ratings faster than any show ever. 
Number two, John Wayne had a cameo in an episode and was paid a fifth of bourbon. Listen, TV was considered much lower form of entertainment than movies back in the day. So when the Duke made a cameo in the episode, The Beverly Hillbillies, the Indians are coming, and when they asked one of the biggest movie stars of all time how he'd like to be paid, good old John Wayne replied, give me a fifth of bourbon. That'll square it up. Anyhow, so number three, the show's theme song, The Ballad of Jed Clampett, was a huge hit on the Billboard charts. Why? The show's iconic theme song was sung by Jerry Scoggins and featured in the legendary banjo play of Earl Scruggs. It reached number 44 on the charts and was one of the first huge mainstream bluegrass hits ever. And here we have, live today, that version. was preceded by some music that I think had a great deal to do with the success of the show. It was a thing called the Ballad of Jed Clampett and the guys that did it and also had a big record on it, a Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs Number four, Jed Clampett was almost someone else on and off screen. Just before he got the role, Buddy Epson was about to quit show business altogether. After he got the role, Epson changed the very nature of his character. Originally, Jed Clampett was written as a total moron, but Epson insisted that even though Clampett had no formal education, he should by no means be a fool. After the character was rewritten, Max Baird Jr.'s character Jethro was given most of the ignorant redneck lines in the show. So number five, Donna Douglas is a blue jeans icon. After the first season, an ex-executive at Levi Strauss was quoted as saying about the actress who portrayed Ellie Mae Clampett. Donna Douglas had done more for the sales of blue jeans in one year than cowboys had done in a hundred. Number six, 
The Beverly Hillbillies came from Missouri. In the pilot episode, the narrator, the narrator at one point says, let's take them back to their home in the Ozarks and see how this whole thing got started. So the series creator, Paul Henning, was in fact from Missouri in real life. This state contains much of the Ozark Mountains, so it makes sense that the, uh, the Henning gave the tutorial family members a similar origin to his own. Number seven, the Clampets were rich but not billionaires. Listen closely. I, this was interesting. The mansion the Clampets lived in sold for $30 million in 2007. According to the first season of the show, Jed Clampett's fortune was $25 million, which adjusted for inflation is about $200 million today. Number eight, the show was almost set in New York instead of Los Angeles. He thought it would be funny to bring the show from, you know, the backwoods person, possibly from the years of 1860 into a modern society. His idea originally evolved for New York, but... The cost of filming there, as opposed to California, necessitated the switch. Isn't that interesting? Number nine, the series was ultimately canceled in something referred to as the Rural Purge. It sounds something Halloween, doesn't it? Tired of having a country reputation, CBS decided to cancel every show with a country setting so the network would be more appealing to advertisers seeking a younger urban audience. At the end of the day, Petticoat Junction, Green Acres, and the Beverly Hillbillies all got the X. And number 10, Granny's real name was Daisy Moses. The character was Jed's mother-in-law. Her daughter, Jed's wife, was named Rose Allen Moses. Y'all didn't know that, did you? I didn't think so. But anyhow, so you're saying, Pastor, that was crazy, and it didn't make a bit of sense to me. And the ones that are over here, and some of the kids, I dismissed them because they're probably thinking, what is the Beverly Hillbillies? Turn me down just a tad. I'm getting some ringing. It might be in the mains. And, uh, or it could be even in the monitors. Just bring me down just a tad there, Sam. Thank you. So when, when you hear this song, the Beverly Hillbillies, how many of you feel like it's still going off in your mind? Right? Because it's repetitive. Because it's the same thing happening over and over and over again. That was my whole purpose. So my whole purpose was this. So that you would hear the song and understand what happens when we repetitively do something for somebody else. It's called hospitality. And I remember growing up, there was nothing greater than people going to Shoney's. Everybody went to Shoney's. Why did they go to Shoney's? Because they were famous for what? Their apples that were on the buffet, and everybody went there for breakfast. It was a tradition that every time we headed to Pikeville, Kentucky, that we went to Shoney's. Why? Because we had to have that southern cooking. Well, my first thought was, why do we have to go there to have southern cooking when in reality, I'm getting ready to spend a month with my grandpa and my grandma, my mamma and my papa down in the holler of Kentucky where what? You don't do anything. There is nothing to do. But watch where you step because you could step on a copperhead. Literally, I, I was in the creek always collecting crawdads. I mean, that was the Beverly Hillbilly style, right? So for me, it was cool, but it was memorable. What I'm trying to explain to you is this, that when I got to Kentucky, Grandma would say to us, now what time do you think you'll arrive? And even though we would stop at 6 a.m. in the morning and eat at Shoney's, she would still have breakfast 
laid out at 9 a.m. You know, we were, we were already almost there, but food was such an important facet to that culture. What they were showing us was a little bit of hillbilly hospitality. And where we've missed it today in our culture is embracing hospitality. You know, it's difficult for us to be nice to somebody. You heard me say a few weeks back in one of my messages approaching that McDonald's speaker. But we know that there is a place that gets it and understands what hospitality is all about. And many of you love this place. It's called Chick. Now, why is it we haven't gotten it yet? Why is it that nobody picked up that model, right? So here's the model. As soon as you get there, you're waiting in this long line, which is now a two-highway. You know, they had to, to go in and reconstruct things because they couldn't get people in and out of there fast enough. And even though those poor young adults were standing out there through rain, sleet, snow, they were being hospitable. And they have their little iPads, and their little iPads are like this. And as soon as they approach your car, they want to know what it is you want. Well, good morning. Welcome to Chick-fil-A. What can we do for you today? Well, certainly. Well, that's fine. That is awesome. Man, you are one. Oh, that's great. Would you like anything else to drink? What else can we get for you? Before the end of your order, you started out getting three things, but because they were so kind, you ended up ordering ten. Your bill went from... $5.95 $5.95 to $59.95, right? Because they knew what it was about. They understand hospitality. And that was such a key component to the success of Chick-fil-A. And yet they learned this model from Genesis chapter 18. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. Genesis chapter 18, as we're going to talk about hillbilly hospitality. And one of the greatest hillbillies in the Bible, because we're going to go all the way back to Genesis, was a great man of God, and his name was Abraham. And he understood what it was like to get out the lard, to get out the flour for biscuits, to get ready to kill the fatted calf and all the pigs and everything else that was out there. I'm just throwing that in there. But he knew the importance of what hospitality was about. Now, today's message is going to be somewhat a little bit different. Normally, I make it personal. We talk about maybe some emotional component or something going on in your life as we've been journeying through looking at ourself and increasing in the grace and knowledge of Christ and then changing from that old person to the new. But what I noticed here in the scriptures is the important part of Genesis chapter 18. Here's what's going on. This is a familiar story. People know Genesis chapter 18. And if you're familiar with it, it actually is about God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. But there is a quite bit to learn before we actually get to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I probably won't highlight it today. But at a time when our fellowship is growing, such as our church and as Christians, it can only be God's timing that brings us to this passage this morning. To look at it and hopefully learn from the hospitality of Abraham. My granny, she knew so much about hospitality. And it was fun. You know, I, I, we have a dishwasher. But when you went to grandma's, it was fun because after you were done and breakfast was served, a feast for 50 people, 
you then put the stuff away and then you scrape that grease back into that lard can and then it got nice and dry and hardened back to its original form. But there was nothing like that type of cooking. And we enjoyed that type of cooking because it wasn't anything that our fast-paced life offers us here in the northern, northern part of Ohio. And if you're from the northern states of the Midwest, you'll find out that everybody always talks about southern hospitality, right? So today I would like to take this message and bring our church to a place of southern hospitality, a little hillbilly hospitality. I love this. A mother invited some people to dinner. And at the table, she turned to her six-year-old daughter and said, Would you like to say the blessing? I wouldn't know what to say, the girl replied. Just say what you hear mommy say. The mother answered. So the little girl, she did what any little six-year-old girl would do. So she bowed her head and with sincerity in her voice said, Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? (laughs) Hey, it happens, right? Genesis chapter 18 Verses 1 through 8. And here's what it reads. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked. And lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. I love that because it says that he knelt, that he bowed, that he was was humbled and he showed a sense of humility there. Verse 3, and said, Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from, my, from thy servant. Let, let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort you and your hearts. After that you shall pass on, for therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, so do as he has said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah, and said, and said, make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran into the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto a young man. And he hasted to dress it. He prepared it. He was preparing for these men. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree and they ate. Hebrews 13.2 tells us, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Y'all know that? You hear what the scriptures have to say in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2? Interesting how we minister to angels unaware, and yet we're not very hospitable to people. We're not very kind, and we don't realize actually who we're ministering to. So every Bible scholar faithful to the text sees this as a direct link to Genesis chapter 18. And let me explain why. Because in this verse, there were three guests that were there. And those three guests were actually Yahweh and two angels. So in the Texas Receptive, in the old Hebrew and Greek, it says that there were three guests. And yet Abraham knew right then. And he said, let me show you how I'm going to appreciate you. I want to be hospitable to you and yet serve you in this capacity. So this morning, if you'll take your Bible into Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Matthew 20, verse 28. And I like what verse 26 actually has to say too. I'll just read it. 
But it's not... But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Let him be your servant. And whosoever shall be first or chief among you, let him be your servant. Let him be your slave. And then in verse 28 it says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served unto, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Not to minister, but to be ministered unto. See, here's where I believe we've missed it. We're so important in our own life, in our own mind, and in our own marriage, we've failed to be of service to those that we love and care for. And we have to be careful because, see, this is not big America. New Hope is not big America. We're to be very hospitable to people. One of the greatest things that that I achieved in my high school years was when my classmates voted me most courteous. And I remembered in the, uh, in the yearbook when Lori was also, because they voted for one male and one female, Lori was actually looked like she was falling on the floor, and I ripped the chair out from underneath her. You know, because what a great compliment to say, you are the most courteous, you're very hospitable. When people walk away from you, what do they say about you? Are you a giver? Are you a taker? Which one are you? How is it they see your life? So this morning, I see Abraham doing seven things that we can do to show hospitality here at New Hope. Number one, Abraham made his guests feel welcome. He made his guests feel welcome. Hospitality involves far more than a hello and a handshake. But it certainly does start there. Abraham set his guests above himself when he did what? It says here that he bowed himself to the earth. And urged them to remain. See, when he greeted his visitors, he made himself their servant. The very thing that Jesus wanted his followers to become is a servant to all others. And here at New Hope, and I'm speaking to you kind of in a personal way, but in making our guests here at New Hope welcome, it takes more than simply welcoming. welcoming. Let me get that out there. I should never have talked like this because when I do that, it just, wants, it just makes me revert back to the old ways. And uh, I have to be more uh, dialect. I just wouldn't. I mean, I'd spend one month with Grandma and came home sounding just like them. I love being with Grandpa and Grandma. But anyhow, so let me, let me just spit this back out again. Welcoming them into the building and walking away, but it extends to taking the servant's attitude to do what? What do we need to do? And I'll, and I'll break this down for you. The one, to greet them and invite them in and to show them around and instructing them where the classrooms are for themselves and for their kids. It's simple. Hi, Louise. How you doing, buddy? I'm Good here. to see you. I'm glad you're right up front here. I mean, we're glad you're at church today. I've missed you, man. You can go through and you can say to so many people, I missed you, man. It's great to see you. How hard is that? What's scary for me is when I hear people walk up to somebody and say, is this your first time here? I'm thinking, where have you been? This is like their ninth. Please don't say that to them. Now they don't feel very welcome. So I think we, we, we have a tendency to be hospitable, but we have to remember, you know, in what context that is. Listen, don't say it's up to somebody else. Welcome them in. I've told my kids before, when people come to our house, make them feel special. It's my responsibility 
to serve my guests. When they come in, would you like something to drink? Can I make you some coffee? Tonight, here's what we're having for dinner. I mean, we're embarking upon Thanksgiving, right? And the feast will be laid out. And in and, and many of our families, there's always that one designated home, that one designated person that's hospitable, that always shows that love and kindness. There's, I mean, could, let's, let's just act this out, right? You go to somebody's house, and they invite you over. So you knock on the door. You ring the doorbell. Bing. Dong. And you're still standing there. And then you look at your time and you're like, I swear they told me at 1130 to be at their door. So you start knocking again. Before long, you got calluses on your knuckles and they're bleeding. And you look around to see if their car's out there. And you're wondering, where in the world are they? What happened to them, right? Then this happens. They're looking out the door at you. What are... What are you doing here? Well, you invited me in. No, I didn't. Slam! How would that make you feel? Kind of weird, isn't it? But when you're... I walked through the door a few minutes ago. Let me close it. There you go. I was like the Holy Spirit right there. I was like, wow. Um, But we knock on the door, and you shouldn't wait, because if you're the one who is treating your guests well then you will, I slammed at that time, you will run to the door, walk and say, hey, how you doing? Oh, it's so great to see you. Thanks for being at our house. (laughs) And now you're excited. Come on in. We want to have some coffee and some cake and some food, and we're just so happy that you're here. I woke up that baby. And then the baby cries. Oh, just kidding. And so we should have that type of feeling. And when people come to church, they shouldn't walk in and feel like, hey, you, hey, Spike, up to the front row. You need a message better than anybody else. That would be kind of off, wouldn't it? I mean, think about it. That would be very bizarre. No, you welcome in and say, hey, Welcome to church. We're blessed to have you here today. And I'm so thankful that you're here. Welcome. Now, where would you like to sit? And they walk in the sanctuary. And as they walk in, they find their place and they sit down. And they're ready to receive the food that God has for them on a spiritual level, right? So not only did Abraham make his guests feel welcome... It says here that he refreshed them by washing their feet. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, John marked this as the full display display of his love, which was found in John chapter 13, verse 1. And he commanded the same of us. Now, I know, and I think this is bizarre, but some churches do this as a third ordinance together with communion and baptism in order to join that church. 
But without getting into the discussion this morning, I'm not going to... I'm not against such a practice, but I'm not for it either, as long as the practice remains within the bounds of the church. Let me explain. I happen to believe when Jesus commanded us to wash one another's feet, he had more in mind than basins and towels. He was concerned with servanthood and humility. That's why he washed the disciples' feet. And in our society, if you ask church visitors to remove their shoes, they would remove them without taking them off. They'd remove them from the floor, and they'd remove them from the foyer, and then off of the sidewalk, and they'd never bring themselves back to New Hope. That the comparison would be that they would find constructive ways of relieving people of their burdens and offering them as a place to heal. I say all that to say because in that country, washing the feet was exceedingly refreshing. Shoes were sandals. When your feet got dirty and hot, and to wash someone's feet was to offer them a soothing opportunity to heal. And when people come into New Hope, we're offering them an opportunity to do what? To heal. One way to provide that is to ensure that the environment here is receptive and inviting. Easy to get in and easy to get out. And so I'd like to talk to the board in a serious manner right now. I'd really like to talk to all of our deacons, trustees, ministry leaders, I think we should change one of the rooms into a pedicure room. I think that that would go over well. And if you have smelly, stinky, ugly feet, it wouldn't go over well with you. But if you had a room that you could get a pedicure, and they come in and they break out the sander, get rid of those toes, nails that are green and purple, Falling off your body. I'm just kidding. <laughs> CJ thought his pastor was actually winking to him, but I just winked to him to make a joke. Okay, let's not go any further. Because uh, I started to grin. And when I started to grin, I'm thinking, there no. And if my wife was in here, she's out with the kids, but if my wife was in here, she'd be like, oh, here, here he goes again. There's nothing greater than having your feet washed, right? But yet, I think we miss what the scriptures have to say. Even Jesus knew what servanthood was about. He said, listen, I have come to serve you and not to be served. And there is something that I have to speak to our church family about. The way that you serve others impresses me. And I appreciate just your servant's heart. I want the community to know that we have a heart that is hospitable towards people. That if there is somebody here and that there is a guest that, that needs to come in and feel a sense of family, maybe involvement, that you don't look at him and say, what are you doing here, man? Taking up a seat. But they feel this sense of humility and a sense of love and acceptance, and that you will bring them and welcome them into this place. And yet, what Jesus was trying to say to his disciples is the very same thing that Abraham said to his three guests. Come in, so you'll be refreshed. Come in, so you'll be refreshed. The third thing Abraham did is he offered them rest. In verse 4, Abraham asked them to rest themselves under the tree. 
When visitors come into New Hope, chances are good that initially at least they've come to be at rest from the battlefield, from being out there dealing with the chaos that we live in. And one reason people enter a church building is because they believe it is a sanctuary from the outside world. Do we not call this very room a sanctuary? Do we not call this very room the house of prayer, the house of worship? This is the place where we come together to kneel at this altar to give it all to Jesus. There is a difference. And I realize that life is hard. And when visitors come through the doors, it could be for, <coughs> excuse me, for any number of reasons. But at the root of all the reasons, I want them to find comfort and I want them to find rest in this sanctuary. Rest from the battles of the world. Freedom from office politics. Freedom from angry neighbors. Rest from temptation. Rest from the battlefields. So whatever the problem, we need to be sensitive to the needs of those who come through these doors that we offer them rest and security. So connected but distinct from that thought is number four. He gave them the best seat. Again, if we look at verse four here, it says, rest yourselves under the tree. Here was the heat of the day in verse one, high noon, and where exactly is the coolest place? The coolest place would be where? Underneath the shade tree. That's where there's room enough for company to relax. While there was only Abraham, he sat at the tent entrance enjoying perhaps the breeze. But when guests came and he moved so that they could have the better seat. Now here's something that's very, very personal here at our church. And I'm not about to rail against our tendency towards assigned seats. I kind of and actually like it. That way, just a little. It helps me to know who's missing each Sunday. And I'm fine of the idea of members moving over to, so that a visitor can get a better seat. It is, after all, just a small sacrifice on your part. Having made them feel welcome, having refreshed them and offering rest and good seat, Abraham had cared for their immediate needs, and he then began to prepare them for what could come next. There's nothing worse them walking into a church and not having a place to sit. Now, I will tell you this. I walked up today, told this fine gentleman that I missed him last week because he wasn't sitting right here. Now, I didn't assign him that seat any more than I assigned him his seat, any more than I assigned them their seat. But basically, I know where you're sitting. I know where you're at, what you're supposed to be. And so when you're not here, there's a sense of loss. I appreciate the encouragement. I appreciate the nods, sometimes the amens. I love the freckles, by the way. Look at that. How did I miss that? Man, we even put fake freckles. Well, how y'all doing? That's great. And, uh, but we want to make people feel a sense of involvement, a sense of family, a place where they can come. How many of you kind of walk into church and you kind of have a tendency to sit in the same spot? Praise the Lord, right? It's just, it's just kind of normal, right? And I know Granny's never been here before, so it's great to have you here in the second row. But we have to make people feel a sense that, you know what, it doesn't matter where I sit. You get to be here every week and remember that when that person comes that might need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we want to make sure that they feel refreshed, encouraged, refined, 
and just a sense of like, man, I walked in that church, I felt like the world was on me, but I just left today, and I feel like I could just sing, be our guest, be our guest, put the service to the test. Okay, well, maybe they're not. Man, y'all look at me like you don't know this song, and you do, all right? I know it. So they were happy to be the guest in the church, right? So I, I love taking the scriptures and seeing what, exactly what Abraham did. Yeah, you're going, Pastor, it's simple. But it is hillbilly hospitality. It's just making people feel a sense of belonging, a sense of, man, I love being there, so that they come back. Feeling loved, appreciated, feeling a sense of relaxed is, is everything. I've got three more points and then we're done. He energized them, number five. He energized them for the road ahead. And here in verses 5 through 8, you can pay attention to the phrase, after that you may go on. Abraham set out to ensure that they were fully prepared for the road in front of them by offering them a meal, and that that meal, and understand what a meal it was. It wasn't just an egg salad sandwich. It wasn't just a ham sandwich. It just wasn't chili that we had last night that was leftovers. This was a Thanksgiving feast. So listen to what he prepared. He prepared an extravagant feast. The bread. Here's what the scripture says. 33 quarts of flour. Nearly 56 pounds of flour. That's a lot of flour. Think about that. That's crazy. Add a little oil. Bake them on hot rocks in the form of pita bread or like thick tortillas. tortillas, And you get the concept. That's a lot of bread. Say what you will, you're taking about probably more than 50 pounds of bread. On top of that, he picked out a calf to slaughter and cook. And mind you, the calf was choice. I just had that in there. He also furnished cheese curds and milk. So Abraham laid everything out for his guests. Why does the scripture say that? Why did it say what he laid out? Because I found that it was very, very important. It was a smorgasbord of food. And I would dare to say that it's not very likely that they ate all of that. So I assume it's a 50-pound calf, couple that with 50 pounds of bread. And I have a little doubt that there was a, co- a comparable amount of curds and milk. Some commentators say that this shows that the men were a whole lot healthier then than they are now. Be it as it may, and this is my thought. I find it difficult to believe that Abraham expected each of these three men to eat over 40 pounds of food in the meal. He was preparing them for the long haul. He was restocking their provisions. He was restocking. Now, I'm not making the case for a weekly potluck here at this church because we love to eat, but if you guys want to, as the hospitality team, want to really do it, I'll eat lunch here every week. (laughs) No, it's not large to... Large jump to look at the differing scriptures that called God's word food and to make the statement that the best thing we can do is to ensure that our guests in this church get more than a light snack. But they get a meal that they can chew on. So spiritually speaking, it is up to me to encourage you in the word so that you get more than a light snack that you walk away feeling a sense of conviction. Wait, what kind of man have I been? What kind of woman have I been? What kind of person am I? You see, that's my job as a pastor is to teach the word, to preach the word. 
it's very, very easy to water down the word. It's very easy to say, here, this is all you get. But I want to make sure that you can digest not just little tidbits, but a hearty meat to ensure that you get a good meal every week. And I think it's the job of our ministry leaders to not come into New Hope Recovery and walk away feeling the same way they felt when they walked in. A sense of hope. When a guest comes into our church, we need to ensure that they are welcomed, refreshed, rested, comfortable, and that they're given what they need to face the week ahead. And truthfully, that can only be done if we take the time to get to know them. And then finally, number six, Abraham stood ready and waiting for an opportunity to serve them. And verse 8, Abraham took the attitude of a servant. He saw it as his personal responsibility. He wanted to make sure that they felt as they were the guest of honor. And I want to treat our visitors as they feel that they are the guests of honor. And I know it's difficult because, listen, I hear this all the time. Well, I came to New Hope. The pastor spent time with me for the first two services. Now he's moved on. Doesn't even know my name. Doesn't even know I exist. I walk in that church and I walk out, never seen him. I didn't know it was just the pastor's responsibility. I thought it was the church's responsibility. Man, you guys are awesome. Watch. So it's your responsibility to be here. It's your responsibility that when those guests show up or when Jesus shows up or when those angels show up that you are here ready to greet them, serve them, bow before them and give them all you have. Isn't that amazing? We need to treat people. And in this world today, there's such a dividing line. Why is it that you don't celebrate when people celebrate on Facebook? Why is it that you just don't is it so hard for you to go like this? I can't like that button. I can't heart that button. No. How hard is that? To just encourage people and be hospitable. Man, when people celebrate their recovery, I'm here to celebrate with you. When people go through hardships, I'm here as a pastor, as your friend, as a brother in the kingdom, as part of the family of God, to encourage you in your walk with Christ. There's no greater place than to be in the front row when the pastor spits on you. Amen? <laughs> you walk out of here going, Louise is like, not really, I'll never sit here again. I didn't know he got this close. He was always waiting and ready for an opportunity to serve. And as I'm going to say this as I close. He saw them as they came. And in verse 2, the first part, note carefully that in verse 1, Abraham is sitting there. But he lifted up his eyes and he looked. Behold, three men were standing opposite of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. So I put the seventh one last, even though by order it's the very first and special reason. It needed special attention, just like our guests. He saw them as they came. Do you guys know that when I preach, I love that we have windows here because I see people come. 
And do you know that when I see your car, I said, thank you, Lord, they made it today. In my head, thank you, Lord, they made it today. I get to look out there, and then I get to see all of you as you come. And some of you, it's every week. And I know it's hard for you to get here by 1030. I will welcome you at 1045. That's how I see your car goes, because I'm standing up here. But you're here, and we're together. Amen? The Bible says, we're two or more gathered in my name. I am here. I've heard the comment for 15 years. Well, I wish I was a special guest. Church, you are special. And you're important to me. But you're more important to God. And when you get up on that Sunday morning and when the enemy starts to trip you up and make you feel like you cannot make it, it could be that very message you need that day to keep you to face the enemy in this life that we battle every single day. Last evening, remember the one gentleman with Divinity Trio, the guy with the, the hairspray hair? The cool hair. So he stood in back, and here's what he said to me. Well, Pastor, for all the years that we've been singing, your church is the most friendly, kindest, most energetic. They made us feel special. They're very hospitable. It was the best experience of our life. We loved it here at New Hope. And I said, thank you, Tony. And a few minutes later, after, you know, people started to filter out and the people went home and Jonathan then walked in here and he said to me, hey, I need to tell you something. First of all, preacher, I know you said 45 minutes and I want 52 minutes. And I just lovingly put my hand on his shoulder. And here's what I said to him. Don't let it happen again, sucker. <laughs> you thought I was going to say something kind, right? And I said, I'm just kidding. Really? That's what I said. But here's the rest of the story. I said, Jonathan, how was your experience tonight? He said, you know, I felt the Spirit of the Lord. He said, you have to understand, we sing so many venues a year that it's hard for us to just go and, you know, sometimes I walk and I'm tired, I'm discouraged, maybe, you know, things happen in our personal lives. But he said to walk in and to be able to sing, and I, I know it was 52 minutes, and I just kind of laughed because I'm thinking you were clocking it. But he was mindful of it because I always tell every singing group, don't wear my people out. I want them to come back tomorrow morning. And so he said this was the best experience I've ever had. The best experience feeling the Holy Spirit in the church. Man, we feel loved here. His dad walks in and has a background of, of uh, in a holiness setting where, you know, you don't have a thump or a boomp or bump or a, uh, you can't sway just a little bit or a tick because you've just, you know, now you've got the devil in you. And he said, when I came here, he said, you know, we looked around the building and the building just spoke life. And he said, but you know what was amazing to me? What's amazing is the life that we felt during our concert. And I want to applaud each and every one of you that were here today. You make people feel special.
And I loved that he felt that way. And I loved that new hope was set apart. Because that has been my goal as the pastor for 15 years. Is that when people walk in, they feel like they're walking into our home. That you feel like you've got some sense of family. And I know I can't make it around to everybody every week. And that I just can't have that, that camaraderie. But I'm always there praying for you, preaching the word, and doing my part as the scriptures laid out in Timothy chapter 3. I'm praying for you, and I'm, I'm encouraged by what the scriptures have to say to teach our people. And so if you're here today, and maybe you've come to church and you've been the scorekeeper. Maybe you've come to church and said, well, I didn't like it because they, they put me in the back row. Or they put me over here on this side. Or, you know, I, I just wish the temperature was different and, the, and these chairs need to be a little bit more. Listen, don't think about yourself. Think about other people. Because, you see, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. So come to church saying, you know what? If I just give somebody a great wave, like Granny Clampa does, with their hillbilly hospitality, then they walk away, they laugh. The greatest thing I have as a pastor, and when the Lord takes me home, Will you all just sing your heart out? Will you act up? I need a couple skits. I need, I need a comic to come in. Uh, I need somebody to come in and make people laugh. Because I know that I'll be walking the streets of gold and that this life is just but a vapor. And, and I know I did my job to be hospitable. To make sure that today that you are fed, that you are filled to overflowing. Not just through the word of God, but through the food that's in the fellowship hall. We can't have church if you're not here. And so church, I want to actually just esteem each and every one of you. And I want to say that it is great to have you here. I couldn't preach to an empty room. And there are churches that are closing. And I'll leave you with this final thought. When those three men, and Jerry heard some of the conversation... When the three men said to me, in most churches today, listen, this is scary. Because of the pandemic, churches are closing. Churches run a congregation of 7 to 12 people. They said, we've walked into churches with 12 people. And I will tell you that I loved seeing the little people run around here last night during the concert. I didn't care that they were in the room. Sing away, my brothers. Let these children get up, go get a drink, go to the bathroom, come back in. Because guess what? He says in Isaiah 55, his word will not come back void, but it'll prosper. And everything those men said, all the songs they sung, those little people heard it. We had a lot of kids here last night. It was great for me to see. There's a lot of kids out there. Bring your children. And if a kid cries or squawks, I don't even care. I don't, because I'd rather have children in this church so that someday that little Josh or that little Travis or that little, or that little girl, there will be a, some little pastor and ministry leader that will move on for the kingdom of Christ. We can't do it alone. And he said, statistically, our churches that we go to are 40, and he said that's young, are 40 years of age and older. He said, because churches are dying left and right. And he said, thank you for allowing us to come here and sing. We needed it more than you all needed it. So did we show a little hillbilly hospitality last night? Well, now it's time to say goodbye.
the pastor and all his kin. They would like to thank you folks for kindly dropping in. You're all invited back next week to this locality to have a heap and helping of the church's hospitality. Hillbilly, that is. Set a spell. Take your shoes off. Y'all come back now. You hear? Let's all stand. Father, we love you and we just thank you for the song of reflection. We thank you for those that are here. Help us to have a little hillbilly hospitality. Help us, Father, to not make things so stressful that we have forgotten why we're here. Lord, it doesn't matter about all of the, the, the obligations that we have. And I know today, Father God, that there will be some that will leave. And Lord, we pray for a special anointing upon this football game this afternoon. And Lord, we just thank you that those that showed up here today, Lord, we just pray that uh, we'll make you our focus. Not this world, not the material things of this world, but Lord, we'll make others. Because you see, if our loved ones die and go to hell, then they've lost the game. And if our loved ones die and go to heaven, they're champions of love. And so, Father, today we pray that you'll continue to speak to us. Lord, help us and just increase within us. And maybe there's somebody here today that's bitter and they've been dealing with some anger. God, let them let it go so they can be hospitable and love people as they are. So, Father, we pray for each person that's here. And if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, may they come forward and ask me, how can I get to heaven? Lord, we love you. Thank you, Father, for your life, for the love, for the energy. Father, keep us with a joy-filled, hospitable community. In your holy name we pray, amen.